We want to continue uh, our series that we've been in for the past, I think, five weeks on atonement, on God's making us one with Him. Actually, this is the sixth week that we've been in this. So six weeks uh, that we've been talking about being one with God, being made one with God through Jesus' sacrifice, through the cross, through God's at one which is again what atonement means. We've looked at the reason for atonement. We've looked at how God has reversed things for us through Jesus Christ. So we got ourselves tangled up. He untangled us. We've also looked at how He satisfied everything that we needed. So whatever we needed, whatever estrangement or division has been caused because of our sin, He satisfied that in Jesus Christ and the cross. Not only that, where we were defeated and on the enemy's side, He now has the victory. He now has become our victor. Uh, And also, where today what we're going to talk about is God's power in the atonement. What power that means for us. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Sorry, Ephesians chapter 4. Move into 5. We're going to start reading with verse 30 and move to 5-2. And think with me as we begin here also from your small group during the week, talking about the Holy Spirit. This begins with a word about the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank You for Your Word. But we thank You that Your Word is living because You are living. And Jesus, You are the Word of God in the flesh. So Holy Spirit, author of the Bible, we pray that You would enlighten our minds this morning. Jesus, we pray that You would be the example for us in this room of what we are to look like, what we are to imitate. And Holy Father, send Your grace to us to help. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here in Ephesians, we're told to be little children. Be like little children. Uh, Imitate God as children do. Um, Which is fascinating because I get imitated all the time around my house. Uh, And with your kids, sometimes things are said or done, and then you try to cover them up and say, hey, don't say that. That was was something adults say or do, and that's not something for you to do or to say. Uh, But with God, we are told to imitate Him. 
There's no need for him to make a correction and say, well, that one time I kind of got out of hand. No, no, God doesn't get out of hand. Uh, even in the Old Testament, he wasn't out of hand. Um, it's fascinating how in the Bible, annoying comes up or, or you know, grumbling comes up. So, so God gets annoyed with their grumblings in the Old Testament. Or he gets tired of their complaining. You know, and, and so do we around our house. That's one thing that we don't like and don't do around our house and don't teach is to complain. That's one thing we don't do. We're not big on complaining. Even when things are bad, it's not going to do any good to help with complaining. And so too in the Bible, there's no need to complain. We're called to imitate God. God doesn't complain. He doesn't need to. He doesn't have to. Nor do we. We have a good Father in heaven, a good brother in Jesus Christ, and a good helper in the Holy Spirit. There is no need to complain today. There's no need to be annoyed with your life today. No. Imitate God. Now, here's the really good news is that we can actually imitate God. We can actually be His children. We can actually, because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of His work, His life, His person, His atonement, His sacrifice, we can actually imitate Him. We can actually look like God. Act like God. Have the mind of Christ, the Bible says in Philippians. We can actually do that. We can actually have that in Jesus Christ. That's good news. Because I know that my old mind, that old self that I came from, that thought about number one only, is not the kind of marriage I want to have. It's not the kind of way I want to teach my children is to only look after number one. Uh, but rather, we can have the kind of mind that says, I put others before myself. Something that Jesus did. Isn't that what Paul says right here? And walk in love? As Christ loved us and gave Himself up for So, what does love look like? Giving yourself. Spending yourself. Not preserving or taking for yourself, but giving of yourself. Which is why giving is integral. To everything in the Christian life. Not just money. Being generous may start with you being generous with your money. But what about your time? What about your life? What about your attitude? I mean, what, what does it mean to be generous in attitude? We all know people who really have no long fuse, so to speak. You know, it's interesting. We talk about fuse in our culture. You know, I have a short fuse. Don't mess with me today. Um, the Bible talks about God having a long nose. So in the Old Testament, when it says that He is slow to anger, remember it says that multiple times, abounding in steadfast love, slow to anger. That term slow to anger in the Hebrew, which is a picture language more than anything else, is actually that He has a long nose because when you get angry, you know, your face kind of draws up, you know, just like that, draws up to the center and your nose gets red. That's the first thing that gets red on you is actually your nose turns red and the rest of your face, you know, hot head. Uh, well, if God has a long nose, it takes a long time. It doesn't mean He's a liar. Pinocchio. Uh, it takes a long time for Him to get angry. In other words, He's slow to anger. So, what does it mean to be generous with your attitude? 
Don't you like it when people are generous to you? Of course. Paul says, look, walk in love. Walk as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In other words, don't quench the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve, as it says here in verse 30 of 4, the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Now, it's good news that we can have that in Jesus Christ. All of the stuff that we've been talking about, I mean, we've looked at the atonement from all kind of different angles. We've kind of just, okay, from over here, interesting. What He's done, He's satisfied all requirements. You know what? He's won the victory. He's also reversed everything. And in Him is all power. So we've, we've kind of made the circle around this thing of, the, of looking at the cross, looking at Jesus' work for us, and said, what does that mean then for us? And we've looked at the different portraits of that for six weeks now. And we come down to the end, and of course there's much more to be said, but I want to say a few important things today about power. Now Paul says in 1.16 of Romans, he says, I'm not ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it is the gospel of power for salvation. Now, when we think of power, we might think of a tyrant, you know, a sovereign, or we may think of some kind of nuclear weapon. That's real power. That's raw power. I often think of my AK 47 and say, that's raw power. And when you get behind it and shoot it, it is. But what kind of power does the atonement offer? Is it power to hurt? Is it power to kill? No, that's not what Jesus came to do at all. It's not power over other people, but to give yourself to people. See, the way we look at power in our world is to control people. In other words, if somebody had an army of two million people, we say, that is powerful. That can, I mean, who's going to say no to them? But that's not the kind of power that Jesus comes to bring, is it? That's, he doesn't rise, raise up an army. He doesn't equip people with Kevlar and AR-15s. No, He gives His life, pours it out for other people. That is the hardest thing to do in the world, is to love other people. People. It's not hard to kill. It's not hard to hate. It's not hard to hold bitterness. No, it's hard to forgive. It's hard to love. It's hard to say no to sin in your relationship and say yes to the person or to God. So, what is this power? What kind of power are we talking about that is unleashed because of Jesus' work? Well, it's saving power. This is exactly what Paul says in Romans 1.16 again. is the power of God that is the good news that he's not ashamed of. It's the power for salvation. So it's saving power. And you know what? We've seen this as we've looked at kind of these different views of the atonement. And we've seen that it is an objective type of saving power, isn't it? Now what I mean by objective is, is it something that has been done for us before we were ever even born. In other words, Jesus died on the cross. 
He did His work. He lived His life. He poured out His life as a sacrifice before I ever even existed. It was something done objectively apart from me without my consent and yet for me in my place. So it's objective. It's done without my consent at all. Which is why we use terms such as justification. Forgiveness of sins. These are things that we can't do ourselves. If God is the one offended, He has to be the one who forgives. I can't do anything now that I've offended Him by my sinning to secure that forgiveness. That is completely objective, outside of me, apart from me. And yet He does it for us. Praise be to God. He does it objectively for us. That's justification. He declares that we are righteous even when we're not. So in other words, my sins written up on this wall take up the whole room and more. And yet, He erases them all. He paints over them, never to be seen again, hidden behind the wall of His forgiveness. That's done objectively. Across the board, everyone objectively, potentially can be forgiven of their sins, just like I It's not something special about Marshall. Trust me. Nothing special about you. This is something done for all people objectively. Now, the other thing though is, there is a subjective side to this, isn't there? This gift that He has given to us in His Son, Jesus Christ, must be subjectively received. This is what we call regeneration. Kind of another big term. Where we are actually made alive in Jesus Christ. I don't want to preach a gospel where I'm just preaching the forgiveness of sins and justification. Apart from being made alive and made holy. If you separate those two things, you're separating what God is wanting to do in your life. He does not only want to forgive your sins once and for all so you can continue to live in sin. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me be very clear. If you are constantly going back to those elementary principles as Hebrews says, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. So if you're using Jesus as your punching bag just to get what you want, as your slot machine every time you get in trouble... This in here and pull. No, that's no relationship at all. That is not the kind of power that God has secured for us in Jesus Christ. This is not a weak gospel. And yet, America, in most of our preaching, has made it a very anemic, weak gospel. Because all we want is forgiveness. So we can keep doing what we want and justify ourselves and say, you know what, I'm just a sinner. He knows it. And He still loves me. Is that what you expect from your husband? I'm just a cheat, babe. I'm sorry. Just deal with it. Okay? You love me anyway. Is this not a relationship? 
or is this just a contract? Is it don't, are you keeping salvation only objective? Thanks, appreciate it. See you on the other side. No, or is there an objective side to this where He actually applies salvation to your life? That's power. That's the Gospel. That's what He came to do. is to free us from sin. To destroy sin. Not continue to let us play with a stainless steel knife and say, it's okay, sweetie. No. He wants to remove it. He wants to sanctify us. He wants to make us holy. That's what He is. That's who He is. And if we're ever going to walk with Him, we must too be holy. We can't be going this route and walk with Him on the highway of holiness. This is what Isaiah saw, wasn't it? A highway of clean people. That's the saints. That's what that term saints means. We've already heard it in two of our readings this morning. Paul addresses every one of his letters to the saints of God. The holy ones of God. In other words, you are this morning in this church the holy ones of God. You say, oh, surely not me. Stop lying to yourself. You say, surely not me. You don't know. Listen, I do know what the struggle is like in the Christian life. I've been a Christian all of my life. And I have struggled. I've struggled with sin deeply. But I also know the freeing power that is in Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean I've been freed from everything that I need to be free from. He's still working on me to make me what I really ought to be. took Him just a week to make the moon and the stars. Right? But it's going to take Him a lifetime to get me fixed. But that's okay. We must be fixed. We have to be. Without holiness, no one will see God. It doesn't just zap and we're finished at death either. Sin must be dealt with. This must be dealt with. We must be dealt with. We must give up our lives if we're ever to gain life, Jesus says. He wasn't kidding. It's not a joke. You can't keep your life and get all the goodies that God has to offer. That's not a relationship. So what kind of power is it? It's an objective power that's offered. It's a subjective power that literally can change our life forever. Now some of you have experienced the forgiveness of sins in your life. You know what that's like. And God has initially changed you and made you right. He's corrected something. But haven't you seen other things that have come to the surface since then? I mean, there are things that were hidden in my single life that emerged in my married life. There were things that emerged later in my family life because I have kids now. 
Things I had no idea about in there. And I've had to say, God, would you forgive me of those and change me? That ought to always be our prayer. Forgive and change. Never just forgive and let me still be the same. No, that's impossible with His kind of power. That is not what the Holy Spirit has come to do in our life. It's not what He's doing in your life. God is making you perfect. C.S. Lewis has a striking image that he says in one of his books, I believe it's Mere Christianity, he says, every person you ever meet is either turning into the worst demonic nightmare you've ever seen or the most beautiful angel, holy, you know, good person that you could ever conceive in your mind. You're moving one of those directions. There is no middle ground. It's not like we're in some holding position, holding pattern, until Jesus comes back. No! We're moving one way or the other. You're either protecting yourself and turning more inward, or you're being poured out, like the cross, open. It's one or the other. And it's happening in every single one of us. Either His sanctifying grace that's offered and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is at work now changing you? You're repenting and believing along the way? Or you're not. And you just say, thanks God, appreciate it. I'm going to keep doing my thing down here. The last thing Jesus said, remember in Revelation that I read earlier, was I come with payment in my hand for all the works that you've done. So what work are you doing? Not only that, what is this power? What kind of power is this? It's power that once you receive the power of God in your life to be changed, to be forgiven, to be renewed and regenerated and born again, alive in the Spirit, God begins... There's a new... Love for God. You wake up, so to speak, to a new life in Christ. And you realize life is not about you. You realize that to build your kingdom in this world is like building a sandcastle. It may look nice and cool, but the next morning it's not there. In other words, the power that God brings to our life is saving power for someone else. What He's doing in your life right now is not just for you. It's for the sake of your children. It's for the sake of your wife. It's for the sake of your family, of others at your job. Your job is not just a place where you make money. It is a mission field. It's a place where you are called to be light. What are you blowing into the air, so to speak? Is it an aroma, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, verse 2? Or is it your own way? If His saving power has met you in Jesus Christ, then you realize that it's for the sake of the world. You realize that 
you were saved with the help of other people. You didn't do this thing yourself. You can't keep yourself. You need others. You need accountability. We say our children should be supervised. So should you. Are we not just called children? We are. What about a child? Why why would Jesus say, if you can't become like a little child, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven? Why would He say something like that? Because children still have wonder. Here, I, I thought about this over the past few days, the difference between my children and myself. I get stressed out. They don't seem to ever be stressed out. Unless somebody takes their toy. And then they know who to come to for help. For justice. No, but we as adults, we're really just big kids, if we're honest. We don't have it all together. We like to present ourselves as if we do. But at the end of the day, we think sometimes, am I doing the right thing? Am I really on the right track? Am I really doing something with my life that is worthwhile? Or at the end of my life, as the years are ticking on, am I going to ever have anything to present to God? What am I going to be remembered for? Children also are eager to learn. That's why they ask a thousand questions. Why? 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 I mean, if you want to reduce someone to nothing, just keep asking the question, why? Why? Well, because it'll reduce them. Why? Well, because I won't have any more answers. Why? Well, because I'm dumb. Okay, be quiet. They're eager to learn. And yet, we as adults sometimes think we've got it together. We like to trick ourselves and say, you know what, I already know about all this stuff in the Bible. I don't don't need to pick it up and study it. I already know what Jesus has done for me. Thanks a lot. This is not for us only. It's for the sake of the world. Now, What does this power come to do? It comes to give us knowledge about Jesus Christ. John 17.3 says, For this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Knowing is knowledge. Isn't that what G.I. Joe taught you way back in the day? Knowing is half the battle. It's who you know. Haven't you figured that out in the corporate world? It's who you know. If you want to get into an elite group, It's who you know. A resume doesn't help that much. It's who you know. It all comes back to G.I. Joe. Knowing really is half the battle according to the Bible because if we know the living God, that is salvation. To know Him. How do we know Him? We know Him through the Word. We know Him through prayer. Out of the mouth of a babe, He told us this morning. How you can know God and make Him known. It doesn't stop with just us again. We're not called to be some holy statue that has everything crossed and dotted. No, stop thinking about yourself. That's 
where sin originates. Idolatry is simply putting anything before God. What we put before God most is me. Is myself. You see, idolatry in the Old Testament looks like idol worship, right? They made, they carved the gods out. They hammered them out. Made these big stat... What does it look like in the New Testament? The heart. The center. They got rid of all the idols. They said, look God, look at us now. Look at me. Look how many times I pray. Look how many times I read my Bible. Look how good I am compared to so and so. Well, what about to Jesus? Because when He walked among them, He said they were a brood of snakes. I've been that snake before. Comparing my righteousness. Damning other people. Because of how good I was. No, it's about knowing Jesus. That's it. It's very simple. Just as your own children... I don't want my children to grow up just following the rules. Of course, I want them to. to be a, I don't want them just to grow up to be you know, a millionaire or a baseball player, which is my high hopes for Jackson. You know, a football player, possibly, for Bo, since his name is Bo Dag, and everybody would love that. No, that's not my... If they received that and hated me, what good is that? If they never talked to me, if we didn't know each other, What good is that? It's not about the gifts that God gives. It's about the giver. Do you really love the giver? Or you just keep coming to the slot machine? It's got a slot machine to you to get goodies. Not only this, this power that God brings, not only brings knowledge, but relationship. God Himself is a relationship. You figured that out yet? Isn't it fascinating who God is? I mean, that's why I love theology so much. It never ends. You can't end with theology because no one can understand God completely because no one is God, nor ever will be. This is a field of study that has no ultimate end unless you love Him, unless you know Him. That is the ultimate end of theology. All of theology is prayer. It's relationship. God Himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, working together to save you, to save me. This beautiful picture that we've been trying to portray for the past six weeks of what God is, has done and is doing to make us one with Him. Again, isn't that what Michael read from John 17? Father, make them one as we are one. And you almost get tripped up. I get tripped up every time I read it because I in you and you in me. What's the point here? Relationship. We are meant to be one with God. Look like God. And I'm saying this morning that that's possible. We've written it off. Not me. Just like my kids often say. I say, son, you can hit that ball. No, I can't, daddy. Don't say you can't. Can't, couldn't ever do anything but fall in the ditch and die. That's what my dad used to say. No, you can in Christ. You can be one with Him, made to look like Him. Now, it may take a lifetime, but that's okay, isn't it? 
Jessica and I are still trying to have a good marriage. It's probably going to take a few more years. But that's okay. We're committed to that. Have you given up on God and just resigned yourself? I'm just this way. It's just the way I've always been. Who cares how you've always been? We're dealing with God. We're dealing with His power. Not yours. Paul says you are now hidden in Christ. You're a new creation. Are you? Does that describe your life? The last thing this power brings to our life is freedom. Freedom to be what we know we should be. Know, we know what we should look like. We know when we should forgive people or when we shouldn't rat off at the mouth or when we shouldn't gossip or hold bitterness towards someone or watch that or do this. And we do it anyway. And yet, what I'm saying today is there's freedom in Christ. Freedom not to do whatever it is you want to do, but freedom to love. Freedom for relationship. We're bound to ourselves naturally. We protect ourselves. You know, if somebody, I've often used this in my class, if someone comes into my classroom at Calhoun, and pulls a gun on, on the class. My first reaction is going to be to protect myself. Whether it is to dive behind a desk or throw somebody else in front of me. That's going to be my initial response for myself. But there's a second principle that's going to come to mind, isn't there? I'm going to say to myself, you know what? It's my duty and privilege as teacher and leader of this classroom to protect them. So there's two principles at work. Do I follow my natural principle or the one that God has given me, which is my conscience and the Holy Spirit at work in me to say, I'm willing to do what it takes. You say, how can people sacrifice? That's how. They're not abiding by some kind of natural protectionism, selfishness, but instead they are selfless. Jesus, does He not offer Himself as a fragrant sacrifice to God. And so it is, we come back to the same thing we've been saying for the past few weeks. We are called to be living sacrifices. Not holding on to our life, but being a sacrifice like Jesus was. Going to the cross. Picking up our cross and following Him to a place of death. Death to self. Death to my own way. Death to me justifying myself. Now I want to bring all this stuff in of who I used to be and all, you know, here's my good works. God, don't play the game. Some of you have lived a really bad life, a secret life. Some of you have lived a really good life. Both of those things can damn you to hell. Trust me, I was on this side. Offering my good works to God without relating to God, without knowing God, without experiencing in my own heart God's forgiveness. What's the middle way? What's the only way? Is Jesus Christ. 
point blank. He, have you not learned He's the center of everything? Everything for us. The Holy Spirit's pointing to Him. The Father's pointing to Him. He's pointing to the Father. He's pointing to the Holy Spirit. No one's in it for their self. But we oftentimes are. It's okay to come to God because you want to escape hell. That's fine. But that shouldn't be your attitude 20 years from now. Oh, please, just don't let me go to hell again, God. I know I've done this a thousand... No. Let's move beyond that. I'm saying this morning, He can move you beyond elementary school. Elementary repentance. On to good works. On to deeper things down in here that you don't even know about yet. That I don't even know about yet. Are you willing to go with God on that journey? This is a marriage, we're told. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, Lord Jesus. When He comes... To get us when he calls his bride home for the marriage? Are you going to be a worthy bride? He can actually make you a worthy bride. We've been told he can't. We've been told, hey, we'll always just be an old sinner sinning every single day in everything that we do. That's not what this says. That's not what the gospel of power says. That's not what the Holy Spirit says. That's what you say. So what will it be this morning? Your power or God's power? This is not a weak gospel. This is a gospel of power. And it's for salvation. It's for knowing God. It's for relating to God and others and freedom. Freedom in Jesus Christ to be and do what we know we should be doing and being. It's pulling together what we know we should be in our minds and what we actually do together in one person. Imitate God. Are you doing that? Be like a little child. Regather that wonder in life. Don't become old and bored thinking you know it all. Let's push a restart button this morning with the Holy Spirit through Jesus' power, what He offers to us. Amen.